Hey, my name is Andrea T. Sevenson, and welcome to Peace and Gender, a podcast about the people behind the research on gender, peace, and security. Who are they, and why do they research these issues? You know, there's a real temptation to talk about women as being a, an alternative to men, the kind of idea, oh, well, if women were in charge, then we wouldn't um, have so many wars. In this episode, you will meet Claire Duncanson. Um, and I'm visiting here from the University of Edinburgh. I'm a senior lecturer in um, international relations at the University of Edinburgh. Today, Claire will be talking about her studies on masculinities in British militaries and her focus on women and the political economy of building peace. In this episode, I am trying to figure out if there's a link between peace and gender. Claire started with a degree in politics, philosophy and history. And then she did a master in peace studies. After this, she started thinking about her PhD. I knew I wanted to combine my interests in gender and feminism with international development, human rights, international politics. And um, I suppose initially I was thinking I would do something about the impact of international interventions, war, humanitarian intervention on women. But at the same time, I was aware that the world didn't necessarily need another white, middle-class um, feminist going into war zones to try and tell that story. There were lots. So at the time, this is, you know, kind of early 2000s, there was the lots of the so-called new wars from the 1990s, lots of research coming out of them about the gendered aspects but written by feminists from those parts of the world, which made more sense to me. So I thought rather than than um, do that, I would try and focus on the masculinities of those who were doing the intervention, you know, the masculinities of the interveners. Claire decided to study changing masculinities in the British military. So I was particularly interested in uh, the question of whether militarised masculinities change when militaries um, and the operational environment changes. So as militaries um, turn to focus, as many have, um, or to peace operations, peace, peace support, humanitarian intervention then what kind of impact does that have on militarised masculinities? Because for a long time, um, the archetypal military masculinity has been associated with combat and force, the idea that um, war makes men and men make war. Um, And that has been thought to be one of the factors that has enabled recruitment of men to the military, you know, uh, is a chance to to prove your toughness um, and your manlihood. And so I was really, uh, yeah, in my work on the British military in particular, it was really interesting, I think, that when you, um, so I did some interviews, some focus groups, but also spent a lot of time reading the autobiographies of British soldiers um, and military doctrine and, and training material. And it seemed to me that when militaries are focused more on on peace support, in some ways soldiers find that very frustrating and emasculating. It's like, this isn't why we joined up. We wanted to to be the tough guys. And yet we're, you know, we're tasked with doing this, this peace support stuff and 
quite a lot of quite explicit uh, um, reflection on how this was emasculating. At the same time, you know, that wasn't the only discourse you can see. You could also see a discourse where soldiers and the British military in general was was constructing peacekeeping or peace building as manly activity um, in the sense that anyone can be the tough guy, but actually it takes a real superior masculinity to be good at this peace support stuff. You need to be tough, but also show restraint. You need to also have the kind of intelligence and um, communication skills. So it involves a bigger range of skills. And and, and I think in, in those defences of the peacekeeping role, you saw this attempt to carve out maybe a superior mas- military masculinity. Clear argue that military masculinities have changed over the years, and a new form of hegemonic masculinity has been created, called the peacebuilder masculinity. But this new emerging peacebuilder masculinity that may sound very progressive brought with it some problems. Sometimes in the construction of this peacekeeper masculinity or peacebuilder masculinity, there are other problems because what tends what you tend to notice is that those masculinities are constructed by subordinating the masculinities of other men. So um, the the Western peacekeeping masculinity is advanced and civilized and humanitarian, the bearer of, of these uh, civilizational goods, because um, the Iraqi or Afghan or Balkan warlord is a it resembles the traditional masculinity of the you know, the kind of barbaric hordes that don't know how to control um, their emotions, that only know how to fight. So although there's so there's this tension, although in some ways it seemed like this is quite progressive, this peacebuilder masculinity, on the other hand, it's constructed through a kind of neocolonial racist um, discourse that really is, is problematic. So, so that was my uh, main kind of findings in the research on, on military masculinity. Yeah, mm. complicated. <laughs> so why is it important to study militaries and masculinities? The traditional military masculinities, um, I think lots of feminists have been um, correct to point out that this has been one of the underpinning dynamics that makes war more likely. And so the perpetuation of the war system is caused by this mutually reinforcing dynamic between militarism and masculinity. So it's really crucial that feminists pay attention to to gender, the gender order that underpins war and militarism. And so that's why initially I was excited by evidence that, yeah, we're seeing change in military masculinities. You know, that's, um, as I say, what you might think would would be progressive. Yet... um, the situation's a lot more complex than that. And, and like so much with feminism, it's a case of, you know, with every step forward, you know, potentially there's backlash and there's complexity and it's very, you know, progress doesn't happen in that linear way. But that doesn't mean that we need to always be sceptical or pessimistic because I think as well as the um, finding that, yes, often a uh, a peacebuilder masculinity would be constructed in relation to a subordinate, hypermasculine, kind of belligerent, backward um, other. There was, I think, there's also cases where you see masculinities being constructed in ways that um, maybe are more progressive. I guess the general answer is you need to pay attention to 
shifts in the gender order, shifts in constructions of masculinity and femininity, because traditionally they have been so important in perpetuating militarism and violence and war. Listening to Claire talk about her studies on gender and militaries, I started thinking about my own experience as a woman trying out for the military myself when I was 18. And I was met with a lot of stereotypical comments such as, why would you try out for the military, your girl? Or do you think you're strong enough to be in the military? So although we have come a long way, there are still a lot of stereotypes surrounding genders and militaries. But is there a link between peace and gender? So I don't think there's a um, natural connection between women and peace. There's nothing inherent or innate to women that makes them more peaceful. You know, there's a real temptation to um, talk about women as being a an alternative to men. The kind of idea, oh, well, if women were in charge, then we wouldn't um, have so many wars. But it's actually probably not that helpful because it um, reinforces those stereotypes that, that women are innately more peaceful, that women are, you know, inherently more likely to compromise and so on and so forth that actually can undermine women's um ability to be taken seriously in public life. So that's one problem. But even, I suppose, phrasing it as um, there's a connection between gender equality and peace can be problematic because I guess there are lots of different definitions of gender equality. And we see a fair bit of research that tries to prove this kind of causal connection between if a society is more gender equal, then it will be more peaceful. But it's quite... uh, hard to um, prove these causal connections because what's the measure you're going to use for gender equality and what's the definition you're going to use for peace? You know, those um, the research that draws those conclusions I think is useful, but I don't think it's all that feminists should be focused on because we can't always um, reduce gender equality and peace to the kind of hard and fast definitions that make it possible to prove causal connections. Claire argued that there has been changes in the diversity of militaries over the last years when it comes to women and LGBTQI people. But once again, with positive, progressive changes, new problems come to light. I can say some things, I suppose, about um, the the question and the debate of whether um, with the increase of more women in the military and with changing um, policies around diversity, around equal opportunity, around inclusion, not just of women, but of um, LGBT personnel, that, you know, there are definitely changes. But as I was saying before, in the context of something else, those changes are not linear. You know, you're not seeing an uncomplicated tale of progress. Certainly in um, militaries like the US and the UK, where you've seen the um, lifting of the combat exclusion and you've seen a whole bunch of um, policies around recruitment, retention, so efforts to make lives better for military women, that the that the um, results of that are hugely complex because we're not, we don't tend to see a drop in rates of sexual harassment and violence. And so that indicates either... 
um, you know, the climate is changing such that women are able to report those things. So that might be one explanation. Or, and I think probably both these things are true, you're also seeing a backlash. As you see things get better for women in the military um, in some ways, you're also then getting um, the reaction of those who are having their privilege disrupted. So you're seeing a violent backlash as well. There's definitely change happening. But whether one could say, you know, we're seeing real progress towards militaries being a, a, a you know, a happy and a fulfilling career option for women and LGBT personnel, it's not as simple as that, yeah. Claire's focus has shifted from masculinities to a different issue regarding gender and war, which is women's economic empowerment. I think, that, as I mentioned, the Women, Peace, Security agenda is um, hugely inspiring and there's been so much positive about it, but the, the focus has very much been on um, the protection of women and girls in armed conflict from egregious crimes, particularly sexual violence. Um, and, and there has been a, um, secondary attention to trying to increase the participation of women in peace processes and these two things are massively important but it seemed to me that that, that meant there was a huge um, questions that were being ignored or marginalised in, in the agenda because obviously sexual violence isn't the only harm that can be done to women in war and sometimes when you um, when uh, people have spoken to women in war zones you know they might talk about the fact that they have lost their livelihood, that they've lost their shelter, that their children have been taken from them, that they've lost their husband. There are so many gendered harms in war. In war, And I'm particularly interested in the um, material dimension, in the way that um, it's often women's economic secu- uh, security that has been jeopardised and undermined and how it's that um, poverty and exclusion that can be just... Uh, it's so devastating and that because that's so mundane in some ways it's not as um, exciting an issue to focus on it's not as dramatic to talk about lack of access to food lack of access to water but these are the really grueling things that that make life impossible so I'm really interested in um, how we can construct in in the post-war context economies that would make life that would work for women and for all instead of an economic model that really um, just increases the the wealth and power of the 1% at the expense of the 99. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, many people have a life project in their academic world. And so does Claire. My academic life project would be to try and uh, relink the um, feminists who focus on international security with feminists that focus on political economy, because I think it was one of the um, inspiring things about feminists' international relations when the first scholars started um, carving out this field of feminist international relations was seeing these them as being interconnected seeing security as in having to involve economic security as well as physical security. And so to me, it's a shame that those fields have become somewhat separated. I don't want to exaggerate that, but somewhat separated. Um, 
such that feminists interested in the women peace security agenda don't often pay attention to economics and feminists who are interested in, for example, the global financial crisis don't always pay attention to um, conflict affected areas. So trying to bring those back together, I think, is really important if we're to see social justice and an improvement in the prosperity and security of women. That was Claire Duncanson. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Peace and Gender. My name is Andrea Evanson, and this podcast was produced for Manash Gender, Peace and Security and Mojo News. <laughs> <laughs>